Amen. Please be seated. That is so good. If you don't know that song by Aaron Keys, he's got a few that are, they're all good, a few that are exceptional. Go home and just play that one over and over and over until it sinks deep in your mind and heart. It's such a great, great song. So God's promises, brothers and sisters, his covenant that I described earlier at the baptism, it's forever. And it's for you. You're included in the covenant promises of God. And you receive all the benefits because, and don't miss this, because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's covenant. And everything that God has promised to his covenant people, all the promises are yours. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, everything we're going to read about in David's life and Israel's life today, it all belongs to you if you receive it by faith in the person of Christ, the greater David, who is part of God's eternal covenant and who has fulfilled God's covenant in himself. I uh, heard a story from a friend again a few weeks ago. Many of you would know this friend. His name is Scott. He received a double lung transplant a few years ago because he battled cystic fibrosis his whole life. His lungs were wearing out. And in God's mercy and grace, he received a young set of lungs from a young man who died in his 20s. Not long after Scott was out of the hospital and able to, to carry on with his life, he met the family, the parents of the, the young man, Stephen, whom Scott had received the lungs from. And there's a video of Scott holding the mother, bringing her in with a hug as she listens to the breath of her son alive in Scott. And through the tears, all of them said, God is so good, God is so gracious that Scott is now breathing new life through lungs, through in God's providence the horrendous death of her own son. He's alive, all of it because of God's grace. They were overwhelmed with gratitude for the goodness and grace of God, even in the midst of very tough circumstances. That's where we find David today. David is overwhelmed with gratitude for God's grace in his life. Read it with me. Second Samuel chapter 7. Hear it in David's own words, or in Samuel's words about David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and here's what David said. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet, this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God, meaning what you've done in the past. But now you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. 
Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. There is none like you. There is no God besides you, according to all we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth, whom God rent to redeem, to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. Your people Israel to be, oh, and you establish your, I struggle with that sentence in the first service, and you establish for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord God, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. We submit ourselves to you, O Holy Spirit, and ask that you would convince us today of all that we have in Jesus Christ, that you would make us grateful servants of the King. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. David said, when I think of all that the Lord has done for me, I am overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. I'm speechless concerning the grace of God in my life. Well, how much grace are we talking about? I mean, what is, is David overreacting here? I mean, what is it in fact that God has done for David and by extension us because of Jesus Christ? What is it that David is overwhelmed by? How much grace are we talking about? I've defined it in three ways from the verses in this text from all of 2 Samuel chapter 7. But the first is that David is overwhelmed by the personal nature and faithful nature of his relationship with God. God has pledged to David and to Israel his continued loyal presence and love and care very particularly for David and for Israel. And by the way, church, we are the new Israel. These are our promises as well. David's sitting in this beautiful home. He's got the voice of Samuel, the prophet, who is hearing and speaking the words of God to him. He has in this beautiful place that he has this desire to, to build this house for the, for the tabernacle, for the, for the uh, Ark of the Covenant. He's overwhelmed by the personal nature of God's provision for him. And God has said to David in chapter 8 of uh, chapter, uh, verse 8 of chapter 7, you, David, you were just in the pasture, and I've now made you a prince. I have brought you by my grace to where you are today, 
and it's all been because of my grace. And God says, David, as he said to Israel over and over and over here, you're my servant, David. You're my people, Israel. You belong to me, and I'm going to be with you forever. I'm going to always be. I have been with you, and I will be with you. The nature of the relationship is one in which I love you with such particular love, and I will never fail you. David hears these promises, this eternal pledge of love and relationship by God, and he's, he's overwhelmed by the grace of God in his life. David, you wanted to build me a house. I don't want your house. I'm going to build you a house, we learned last week. And the house is a lineage. It's, it's uh, posterity. It's someone to always be on the throne of David all the way till Jesus comes, who, who is the one who's on the throne of David, who is the greater David. And David, your line is going to continue forever through Christ. You wanted to build me a house. I'm building you a house. I'm with you, David, forever and ever. I'm going to give you a king. I'm going to give you a kingdom, and it will last forever, and it will be surrounded by my love and presence. It's this promise that David gets, and he's overwhelmed by the relationship that God is saying that he will have with David and continue to have with David and his people forever. But there's more to the promise. God reminds David, I have redeemed you. David, the reason you are so overwhelmed with gratitude is the redemption that I have brought you. What is he speaking of? Throughout our text and throughout the whole Old Testament, God is speaking of the time when he rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. You were slaves under Pharaoh. You were helpless. There was no way you could rescue yourself, but I came to your rescue and I delivered you through my servant Moses. I have redeemed you. I have brought you to myself. And I am the God who has redeemed Israel. And I am the God who will ultimately redeem you in Jesus Christ from the cross. I am not just the one who's in relationship with you. I am your redeemer. In my Bible study with the guys I meet with weekly, we talk about when we start to talk about God's grace and his promises it's like an infomercial that just keeps getting better and better so you know how it's like if you buy today we'll give you two of these stick-free pans but wait there's more if you buy today we'll you know we'll include this and this and free uh shipping and handling there's always more that comes when we start to unpack the promises and grace of God it's as if they keep on coming. So I'll say to you, there's still more. Not only the relationship, a very personal loving relationship with God as Father, and not only the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus, but God said the days of rest are coming. He said over and over throughout our text, I'm gonna give you rest. Rest from what harasses you. Rest from suffering. Rest from your enemies. You're going to be surrounded by my care and you're going to be at rest in me. At rest in your identity in me. You are my people and I promise you not just relationship and not just redemption, but ultimately rest for weary souls. Now we know 
that the rest that was provided for David was temporary, but the rest that is provided in Jesus is ultimate. And one day in the new heavens and new earth, we will rest in a new land, finally at home face to face with Jesus. Oh, how much grace is ours in Christ. Now, some of you today are going, I don't feel any of those things and I'm not experiencing any of those things. That idea of relationship with God, the idea of the redemption of God, the idea of the rest that God promises, I'm not feeling it, I'm not experiencing it. But here's what you have to understand. It's still true, whether you are physically or, 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 or personally feeling it at this moment, God has made these eternal promises to you and the text says nine times they are forever promises. That the promise of rest and the promise of redemption and the promise of relationship is not something that can be taken away from you. God says these are your promises and they're yours forever based on my faithfulness, based on my character, based on who I am, your relationship Your rest, your redemption is found and anchored in the character of God and the person of Jesus and you cannot lose that no matter what hell breaks through in your life. David is overwhelmed by the grace of God which leads him then to our second idea this morning. What is our response supposed to be? David demonstrates for us humble gratitude. The grace of relationship with God and redemption from God and rest in God produces in David humble gratitude. Did you see it in our, these questions that David asks himself? Verse 18, who am I? And, and what is my house? What more can David say to you, God? Verses 18 through 20, those interrogatives I don't deserve this. I was in the pasture. My father tried to have every brother before me chosen as king. He left me out with the sheep. He didn't even want me as king. My brothers weren't going to recommend me, but God, you came and found me. You brought me from the pasture to be prince over your people Israel. It's all of your grace. Who am I? What is my house? What more can I say to you, God? You would do this for me. It was humble gratitude. It's our response too. You were in the pasture, metaphorically speaking. You were in the wilderness. You were cast off from God in your sin and brokenness and shame. You were enemies of God. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You weren't looking for God. You didn't want God. The Bible says you were enemies of God and you hated God. But God came looking for you. (laughs) Unbelievable. What kind of grace? Who are we that God would grace us in this way? And so David is so overwhelmed by grace, he wants to build a, a, a house for the ark. God says, I don't want your house. In fact, I'm going to build you a house, David. I had this friend that came to our house years ago and he he, uh, did something that we needed done at our house and we were so overwhelmed with gratitude for his service to us and going way beyond what he should have done 
that Aaron and I decided to have this dinner and have he and his wife over and, and uh, we made the best dinner we could and just tried to lavish on them to show our gratitude. As my friend was leaving the house, he noticed something else that wasn't right at the house and unbeknownst to me, that week he sent his crew back over to fix something else and I went, come it, like I'm trying to serve you and you just keep serving me, you just keep giving to me. Whatever service you're offering to God, he just keeps lavishing his grace upon you. You can't out-serve, you can't out-honor, you can't out-give God. We need the practice of humility and gratitude in our lives for all that God has done for us, as David demonstrates here. By the way, medical and psychological research says that those who practice gratitude experience more positive emotions, they're more optimistic, they have better relationships, they have better physical health, they feel more alive, they sleep better, they express more empathy, they show better compassion and kindness, they have stronger immune system, it reduces their aggression, and they are happier with better self-esteem. I need all those, right? If you practice God's gratitude for what God has done for you, those are yours, but even more importantly, you honor God, who has loved you with such lavish grace. So that's the first idea, a posture of humility and gratitude and service. But then you see, or the third one is of service here. Ten times David says, I am your servant. The best way to honor the grace of God in your life is to serve him, to obey him to honor what he says, to honor who he is by living your life in response to his grace. David says, I'm your servant. I know I'm a child of God, but I want to live like a servant of God in trying to honor you with all that I do as my master. So David's posture, his praises is next. David once says, Psalm 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. David cannot handle, put into words what God's grace has meant to him. So he wants to humbly serve him and show gratitude together with God for what God has done for him. But David also, the text says, goes in and sits in the presence of God in worship and offers praise to God. Praise for what God has done for him and praise for who God is. If you read the text over slowly, you'll see these two ideas. David says, I can't believe the redemption that is mine and yours and in you. I can't believe the promises that you have made to me. I can't believe the grace. I can't, I'm overwhelmed by what you've done in my life. I praise you, O oh God, for all your works on my behalf. And then he says, I praise you for your character. You are holy, God. There is no other God like you. And David's right, you know. If you're searching this morning, if you're wondering about the, the God of the Bible, the God of, the, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who fulfilled his promises in Jesus, he is the only true God. And he's unlike every other wannabe God out there. There's no other religion that a, with a God who sees us in our desperate sin and brokenness and failure and comes looking for us. There is no other. There is no other God of mercy who satisfies our greatest needs by doing the work himself. There is no other God like this. 
And David worships God for what he's done and who he is. I didn't deserve any of this, God. It's all of your grace. So he worships him and prays. And then prayers. And this is the last thing this morning. The few minutes we have left, I want you to see what was sort of brand new to me this week, which I think is really beautiful. David's response to God's grace is to pray to God, do it, Lord. Do what you said you would do. Do it. Look with me at the text again. These are not my ideas. David said it. Verse 25. After all that David has exalted about what God has done and promises to do, David says, and now, O Lord, Confirm forever the word that you have spoken. In other words, do what you've promised, Lord. Verse 26, do it, Lord, because if you do it, your name's gonna be magnified. The other nations are gonna see what you've promised and what you've done, and you're gonna receive the glory for it. Do it, Lord. Do what you've promised to your servants. Do it. Keep going with me. Verse 27, for you, O Lord, the God of Israel, have made this revelation, saying, I will build a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God. Your words are true. You have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to do it, to bless the house of your servant. David says, I'm so overwhelmed by your grace. I cannot believe your promises. I'm humbled. I'm I'm so grateful for your work and promises on my behalf. I want to serve you. I'm your servant, Lord. I want to worship you. But Lord, I'm boldly coming in and I'm asking you to do what you said you would do. Do as you've promised. Friends, when we do that, when you take God at his word, You're honoring him. You're saying, I believe your word is true. Do it, Lord. Do what you've promised. You're also unleashing, by praying in this way, the power of God in your life. You are appropriating God's promises, and so it's blessing you. Well, when you go to God and you say, do what you've promised, as David does here, you're saying, God, you're the one that has the power. I don't have any. God, you're the one that's true to your word. God, you can do what only you say you will do. And you've never once broken your promises. So I'm coming to you, God. Do what you said you would do. It honors God. It shows that we believe him. And when we come and we claim his promises, we are strengthened and God is glorified. Let me say it in the negative. What if you had a friend that won that like $800 million Powerball thing that happened not long ago, or maybe got to a billion at some point, and they came to you and said, I won. <laughs> I won the lottery, I have it. And you said, that's great. Did you turn, did you cash it in? Did you redeem it? And they said, no, no, we kept it in our drawer at home. You would say, you're a fool. Take that thing in, cash it in, redeem it. Then you have all the riches that are yours. I think some of us could be called fools because the eternal riches of God are at our disposal. His promises, his unfailing love is always before us and all we have to do is go and claim them. We pray for a lot of things that we don't know if they're God's will. Why don't we pray the things we know he's gonna answer? 
Why don't we pray the things that he's pledged his character and his eternal covenant on? Go to him and claim his promises and say, do it, Lord. Do what you've said. It honors him. It strengthens us. Our prayers unleash the promises of God and turn the promise of God into a reality. So maybe today you're saying, Lord, I am so sinful and burdened by the weight of my sin. Go to him and say, but you promise forgiveness and mercy. Maybe you say, Lord, I'm so depressed, I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. Go to him and say, Lord, you promise joy and encouragement. You promise you're near to the brokenhearted. Lord, I'm so weak, but you promise strength. Lord, I feel so alone. Lord, you've promised that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, I feel so afraid, but you've promised that you will always protect me. Lord, I'm scared to death for my children, but Lord, you've made covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to David, to Moses, through Jesus fulfilled. You're the covenant-keeping God. I claim your promises. Pray the promises in response to God's overwhelming grace. He wants you to, he's given you language to, and he will bless you and you will glorify him if you do. Many of you will know that years ago, over 20 now, I lived with a family called the Rivers. They moved out of town several years ago, but they adopted four boys from Russia and Latvia. And I would sit at their dinner table with them as the boys were around the table. Not long after the boys came home, we started to notice that one of the boys would take dinner rolls from the table and put them in his pockets or hide them in his shirt and take them up to his room. You see, he was an orphan before he came to the house, and he never knew if he was going to have enough. So he would take it into him, upon himself to take food up to his room and stash it. And it took some convincing to say to him, hey, you're part of the family now. You've been adopted by this family and you can walk into the fridge and you can open the fridge. It's all yours. The cupboard, it's all yours. You're part of the family. Everything that belongs to them belongs to you. You don't have to live like an orphan anymore. Live like a son. Go downstairs, take everything that you want whenever you want. It's all yours because you're part of the family. You've been adopted into the family. And I would say to you, most of us live like orphans with God. We're afraid, we manipulate, we shrink back in fear, we try to control. We've forgotten that we're children adopted by God and all that he has promised is ours in Christ. Don't live like an orphan. Live like a son or daughter of the king. It's all yours. Let's pray together. Father, in this text, we see why we should be so grateful for your amazing grace. And we also see what our response should be. Give us, O oh Father, the grace to live with gratitude and praise and service of the king and to appropriate for ourselves all the promises that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.